Tonight's program is brought to you by the China Hockey Group. The CHG is a family-oriented group of ice hockey leagues, training programs, and community initiatives geared at developing ice hockey in Hong Kong and southern China. Established in 2011, the CHG is comprised of various programs for players of all levels. From the exceptional Junior Tigers program, the HKBN Island League, the Learn to Play and Learn to Skate programs, all the way up to their adult leagues, which include the SCIHL, for those looking for a fun recreational experience, and the CIHL, which is the only elite full contact adult hockey league. If you're looking for some hockey equipment, or if you even need your skates sharpened, stop by the CHG showroom in Central, an exclusive reseller of Warrior and Power equipment. For more information about their programs, check out their website at ChinaHockeyGroup.com. That's ChinaHockeyGroup.com. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks Volume 50. My guest today grew up in beautiful St. Albert's, Alberta. And unlike any previous guest of this show, this interview is not related to hockey, but Canada's second best sport on ice, the great game of curling. This gentleman has won 15 Grand Slam curling events, a Canada Games gold, a World University Games gold, three Briar golds, two World Curling Championship golds, an Olympic gold, and was named the top Canadian second of all time by TSN and is about to embark on his third journey to the Winter Olympics. He's also a husband, father, businessman, and a pretty decent golfer. Please welcome Mr. Mark Kennedy. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me on, man. This is fun. We can we can talk hockey, too. It doesn't all have to be curling. I'm a hockey fan. I know. I've heard some of your interviews. It seems to be a theme. It comes up. So we'll, we'll see, what, we'll see what, what happens here. But first of all, Mark, uh, thanks for taking time to talk to me. Um, just before we get into the nitty gritty of the interview, uh, tell us where you're at right now and, uh, and what's going on. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I'm currently in Abbotsford, BC, just outside of Vancouver. Um, I'm the alternate for Team Gushu that's heading over to the Olympics in Beijing. Um, we decided, uh, you know, to, to do our best to avoid virus exposure. Uh, was Our best chance was to get together and kind of create our own bubble. Um, so we've been in a big house here in Abbotsford for, I guess it's two weeks today. Um, and just practicing and eating and sleeping and hanging out together and trying to avoid contact with as many people as possible mm-hmm. um, until we get to Beijing. And, and I'll be heading out a little bit earlier than the rest of the guys. So I'm going to be leaving on a charter plane on Saturday. So in about three days. Um, and then the rest of the team is going to be staying here in Abbotsford until about the 4th of February. And then they're going to make their way over to Beijing. So uh, it's pretty crazy times, but we've done a, I think we've done a pretty good job of, of trying to, you know, the main anxieties right now is just getting to Beijing without any positive tests. So right. I think we've tried to control that the best that we can. And, uh, and that's where we're at. So awesome. it's, uh, it's early, it's early in the day for you or midday for you. And it's getting yep. pretty late for us. And, but yeah, all's good here. That's great, Mark. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are all super excited to get uh, to get a move on and make your way over here to Asia. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to get to that. That's a little foreshadowing to the end of the interview where we're going to get to. But uh, I'd like to go back and talk a little bit about your life, uh, your life and times, Mark, I guess. Uh, tell me a little bit about growing up in St. Albert's, so your family and your introduction to the game of curling. 
Yeah, that's that's going way back now. I've been playing a long time, but uh, I was born and raised in St. Albert, uh, still living there with with my wife and daughters. Um, I was introduced through my mom and dad, like most people in Canada that that get into curling. Uh, my mom and dad loved to play. They, they played mixed together. Uh, my dad loved playing men's league a couple nights a week. He was a pretty competitive player. Um, and you know what, when I was about seven years old, my dad took over the little rock program at the St. Albert curling club. So there was a group of about 50 kids that came out every Sunday for a couple hours. Um, and you know, he's the main reason I fell in love with the sport. I used to love Sundays going out with him and just being out on the ice and, uh, you know, similar to a lot of hockey players, I think the smell of the curling rink mm -hmm. felt like home. Um, and I just loved it. And you know what? When my mom and dad would play, uh, the curling rink was our babysitter. Right. You know, instead of getting a babysitter for us, they just brought us to the rink to watch them. So that's what I did. And uh, anytime there was games done early, I'd be the first guy out there practicing and, you know, just loved the sport. And you know what? Started to have a little bit of success with my brother. My brother Glenn's a couple of years older than me. And we started doing pretty good in juniors. You know, we were 13, 14 years old playing against 17, 18 year olds and, and having some success with against them. Um, and that was it. I was hooked. And, you know, from that point on, it was just anytime I could get to the rink and practice and play, you know, I was, uh, I was a curling rink rat, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, blink and it's 30 years later and, and here I am, you know, having had a great curling career and, and still loving it, still love going to the rink, still love practicing. And, um, you know, I've been very lucky. The sport has been very, very good to me. Yeah. Speaking about being good to you, Mark, I know I've listened to quite a few of your other chats and you always give a lot of credit to the, the elite level curlers that you've had around you most of your life. And anyone who's familiar with the game, uh, would agree, uh, starting with in early in your junior career with Carter Rycroft. Uh, tell me a little bit about how, you know, how being surrounded by these guys, how it helped, you know, motivate you and, and how you, how you kind of were inspired by some of these great players early on in your career. That's a really good question, Chris, because I've, I've been really lucky now where I, when I get to speak to young athletes or young curlers, one of the things, one of the messages I, I try to get across to them is surround yourself with people that, you know, love the game as much as you do, mm -hmm. you know, just surround yourself with good people and, and people that want to have success in the sport and, and they'll help get you to where you want to be. And man, I've been so lucky, like, you know, right from day one, Carter Rycroft and my brother, mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, getting really fortunate out of juniors to, to get an opportunity to play with John Morris and Kevin Cooey. Right. Uh, before they were household names, right. We were all young in our twenties and here were these two talented guys that asked me to play with them and the amount that I just learned from them and you know, how they go about their business and how they approach the game. I just, I was like a sponge early in my career, just trying to learn as much as I possibly could. But listen, man, I was in the right place at the right time a lot in my career. It's, mm -hmm. it's funny how that's kind of worked out. Um, I still remember the day that, uh, I ran into Kevin Martin at the Balmoral Curling Club in Edmonton. I was going to university there and, and he came out and he said, I remember we knew each other just kind of from the curling circles and he was familiar with some of the juniors. And at the time, I think I was only 21 years old. And he said, Mark, you know, I'm looking for somebody to manage my curling store. So if you have anyone in mind, you know, if you wouldn't mind, here's my phone number. And I'm just, you know, I need somebody for the fall. So if you know anybody, have them give me a call. And I said, well, I said, I'm kind of looking for work right now. 
Um, so, you know, the next day I was, uh, I was at his curling store learning how to manage it. And I, you know, I was, I ended up working for him for five years and then curling wow. for him for eight years, just right place, right time, right people. So I give a lot of credit to those people around me that, um, I've just, I've had incredible teammates, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think three of the top 10 curlers of all time have been, you know, skips that I've played with or thirds that I've played with. And, you know, even my team now with Brad Jacobs and, mm-hmm. and the Harmon brothers, man, I've been so blessed with great teammates. And I, and I think um, that's certainly molded me into the player I am. Can you take me back a little bit uh, to the world of junior curling? Can, is there parallels that you can draw between like minor hockey associations? Because like growing up for me, there was small town curling, but most of it was done in the ice rinks. Uh, as far as infrastructure, there, were, there was one main curling rink in the area, but we were still seeing curling being played before our hockey practices, things like that. Tell me a little bit about yeah. the world of junior curling and what parallels you could draw. Uh, the world of the junior curling, it, it is, uh, it's its own, it's its own universe. That's for sure. Um, I, I was lucky because it was so big in the prairies, you know, so growing up in Alberta, if you wanted to play a junior spiel, there was always one available. You know, if you wanted to get together with other players that wanted to play, you could always form a team. But the interesting thing with curling, you know, different than hockey is there wasn't that structure of somebody building the teams for you. You know, you weren't, you weren't trying out um, to get right. on, you know, whether it's Bantam or midget or even novice teams and curling, it was like, Hey, do you guys want to play? Let's put together a team. And so that's what we did. Um, but uh, again, like my dad was a, a, a big part of just that structure and foundation of, you know, and my brother, Glenn, you know, he basically said, Mark and Glenn, do you want to play? Let's put together a team. And then he kind of kept us on that right track of, of practicing and getting better and learning from our losses. So he was kind of our foundation of getting better and growing, mm. you know, as a compared to now with a lot of the junior teams, there's a lot of talented young curlers out there across Canada, but one of their problems is they can't find, they can't find teams right. or they can't find coaches. And in small towns, especially there's, you know, I find curling's moving more towards the urban centers and there's just not as much opportunity as there used to be in the past. I'm not sure if it's the same um, when it comes to hockey, but you're certainly seeing those young curlers having to gravitate towards mm-hmm. the bigger cities in order to find competitive teams. Right. Well, that totally makes sense. Just the way the world is changing. And, you know, it seems like there's a lot of similarities, but the big, the, the big factor that's different is maybe you can, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably don't have the amount of crazy fans, uh, parents in the, <laughs> in the stands thinking that their kid's going to be the next Wayne Gretzky. I mean, things have changed over the years, Mark. I know you might've inspired a lot of young curlers, but tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not quite the same as hockey. There's still your, you know, your odd curling fan here and there, but it's a, it's different when it comes to that level of engagement from, from uh, crazy fans and just numbers in general, right? Like everyone in Canada plays hockey. Most people in Canada growing up play hockey. Not many young kids grow up curling. Yeah. Um, and you know, back when I was younger, it was still considered an old man sport you know, drinking and smoking on the ice, right. You know, nobody, nobody young athletic wanted to curl. And I remember, you know, St. Albert's a big hockey town, you know, we're home of, uh, you know, Jerome again, grew up there. You know, we got Mark Messier arena. He grew up there, Troy Murray. We've got a huge history of mm-hmm. wonderful hockey players and, and still do still being the curling kid in school, man. I got made fun of lots. <laughs> 
you know, we had the hockey guys walking around. I I'll still remember a bunch of jerks, bunch of jerks. Yeah. All of them, just a bunch yeah. of jerks. Right. Yeah. But you know, they used to, they used to make fun of me. They used to yell hurry hard at me in the hallway and stuff. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Those, those hockey bullies. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Hey, of course. they, they love their hockey. And I just, for some reason, when I was young, I just had a passion for curling and I knew hockey was never going to be my sport. So I, I chose a sport that maybe didn't have the same level of numbers or competition. And, and that's probably one of the reasons I was able to, to have the opportunities I did. Right. Yeah. You know, you could probably attest to young hockey players that, that have that dream of being the next Wayne Gretzky, but man, it's, it's a tough grind with, you know, the amount of good hockey players out there, you could be yeah. incredibly talented and still not get a sniff. That's right. Um, you know, it was a little different for me growing up curling. You had some talent, you were going to go somewhere. Right. So what point was it, Mark? Uh, I know after your junior days, you had a chance to go over to the World University Games um, and uh, you had some success there. You won, your team won a gold medal. And after that, things kind of changed in your career. Um, what was it that happened and how could you explain, um, you know, the opportunities that came after that? Yeah, you're right, man. That was a, that was a big turning point. Um, I, and again, it was just a phone call. I got a call from Mike McEwen. Uh, he had just won the Canadian university championships out of Brandon university. Uh, and he had the opportunity to bring an alternate to go to the world university games in Italy. And so a phone call kind of came out of the blue and he, he asked if I would go with him as a fifth. Um, and, you know, obviously said yes to a wonderful opportunity. And when I went over there, um, you know, we had a great couple of weeks. I had the time of my life and some amazing memories, but I also got fortunate enough to get into a few games. And, uh, when I, when I got into play, uh, Mike and I had a great chemistry at the, at the back end, you know, we were both feisty and competitive and we, we'd already had really good junior careers. So we were kind of on the same, you know, track towards where we wanted to go in the game. And we had great chemistry out on the ice and we started to win a lot of games. I think we won our last uh, five games to win the gold medal. And, you know, one of the guys on that team is Nolan Thiessen, who, you know, is, I still consider one of my best friends to this day. Um, and he's a big dog now at curling Canada. So, um, <laughs> man, we were just, it was so awesome. And then I came home from there and, you know, things kind of took off for me. That's when, uh, I, I had a meeting after that with John Morris, who was moving from Ontario to Alberta, looking for a young player to step in and play second for him. And so that's kind of where my men's career took off right from that point. But, you know, if it wasn't for that world university experience, I don't think anything would have happened for me the same way that it did. So I was extremely grateful for that, for that phone call. It was awesome. That's great. Um, and I mean, I, I don't know if, if you're, you're such a humble guy, Mark, I don't know if you'll agree when I say this, but when you and John Morris and started your careers together, you kind of ch started changing the, the game of curling a little bit, your ideas of fitness and, and, you know, how, you know, the importance of sweeping and, and things like that. I, can you attest to anything that like, where did that drive come from? And where did that, you know, like, we're going to do something a little different here, guys. Like, where did that start? Yeah. I don't think it was anything overly conscious at the time, but if you look back now, I think what happened was there was a whole generation you know, of, of that age of athlete, John, myself, you know, throw Ben Hebert in there. Kevin of course, yeah. There was this whole generation of young curlers who had watched the, 
you know, the better players, the Kevin Martins, Russ Howard's, you know, even people that aren't curling fans know who these guys were. Kevin mm-hmm. Martin, Russ Howard, you know, Glenn Howard, Wayne Madaw, Ed Wernick. And growing up, we watched those guys and fell in love with the sport. But we were also we were also athletes. We didn't just curl. Right. You know, John Morris, Ben Hebert, like we played football. We played, you know, university football for Ben. Uh, we played hockey. We played almost everything there was to play. And so we kind of brought a little bit of that athleticism to curling. And, you know, it was slowly not an old man drinking sport anymore. There was a lot of really good athletes out there. Um, athletes as well as really talented in the sport of curling. So what really changed was when we started curling with Kevin Martin, I think that was Kevin Martin's vision was, you know, I want to get a young, talented team of athletes, not just curlers. And the whole idea of fitness and sweeping and, and a little bit more youth and excitement and energy level is what was going to change the game. And, you know, when we put that team together in 2006 with Kevin Martin, that that's just what it was. We were four athletes that just loved to play. And, and you've never met a more competitive team in your life. Like we yeah. used to have fights sitting around the card table, you know, it was, <laughs> that's what it takes so, sometimes. That is what it takes. Right. Yeah. And now again, you know, as I'm getting older, you watch the younger kids coming up and you know, they're, they're athletes, man, they're athletes. They're, they're competitive. They want to, they want to be professionals. They want to have good habits and do all the right things. And that's where, you know, the sport is definitely evolving. One of the quickest evolving sports in the world and, and has been for the last 20 years. It's just yeah. crazy how far it's come. Well, that team that you joined when you and John Morris joined uh, Kevin Martin's team, I mean, you guys took the curling world by storm after that win in a cup world championship. You won two back-to-back briars without a loss. Does that record still hold to this day? 26, uh, I think, uh, 26 I think consecutive wins. Yeah, I think it does. That's incredible. So, I mean, you touched on it a little bit there. Um, what what else was special that made that team um, able to, you know, do the things that you guys did? Yeah, it was something else. I think, um, you know, we had this great mix of of youthful exuberance as well as the wisdom and experience of Kevin Martin. So mm-hmm. when you combine those two, like at the time, Kevin Martin was probably one of the best players that had ever played. Um, and, but now he was kind of getting into those wiser years where he was a smarter player. You know, he knew how to win. He'd been through all the ups and downs. You can't put a price tag on that level of experience. And, you know, you, you have him kind of running the show and and being the leader with these three guys that would do anything to win. You know, we would do anything it took and we just had all the work ethic and, and energy and, you know, and you mix those two together and it was, it was dynamite for a long time. Um, and you know, there was a few other things at that time in curling, you could argue that every team had maybe a little bit of a weakness, you know, you could have a great team, but maybe their sweeping wasn't great. Or, uh, you know, I had a really talented team, but maybe their strategy wasn't great. I, I felt like this was one of the first teams put together where it was really hard to find a weakness. Right. You know, we had great sweeping, great strategy, great shot making, um, good athleticism, you name it, we had it. And I, I think that just made us really tough to beat for a long time. 
Sounds like the perfect storm. And then obviously that led you to your, uh, your first appearance at the Olympics, uh, 2010, you guys must've been going there with targets on your back after being, you know, the best team for, for a few years leading up to it. Tell me about your first experience, uh, in the Olympics with, uh, with team. Oh, man. Yeah, that was something else. That whole two weeks was, you know, an Olympics in your home country is a tough thing to describe the, the amount of fan support we had and the, the pride we had wearing the maple leaf for those two weeks was something I'll probably never experience again. And, you know, even the average fan of sports knew how still have great memories of what Vancouver was like, right. It was just incredible. So, you know, we got to experience that firsthand and it was amazing. You're right. We had a, we had a big target on our back, but you know, at that, at that stage, there was only a few good international curling teams. So we knew playing good, we'd have a really good chance at, at getting on the podium. Right. Um, but that we'd have to play really well to win a gold. And it was like the, you know, I tell people this a lot. I was, I was there and I experienced it and I was a big part of it, but there were times where I felt like I was, uh, how do I put this? Like a, like a bystander to the two best curlers in the world. And right. they, were, they just both happened to be on my team. Right. Wow. So well, for, from my perspective, it was more like, just, just don't mess up. Like just do your job. It doesn't even have to be great. Just do a good job and get out of Kevin and John's way because they're just that good. So sometimes I just caught myself almost like fanboying my own teammates. Like, wow, these guys are really good. You right. know, let's hope they can just finish this off. And, and they did. And it was a perfect week. You know, we went undefeated. Kevin played unbelievable you know, we had the fans singing the national anthem to us in the crowd. Um, you name it. It was the epitome of, of a curling experience for anyone. And I just felt so lucky to, to have been a part of it. Um, but I also knew that when we won, I think I was 28 years old. I remember standing on the podium thinking, this is going to be a really tough one to top. Right. But, you know, it probably doesn't get much better than this right yeah. here. So it was really about trying to to take it all in and soak it all in. Cause it was, it was really something special. Yeah. And I was, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that Mark, because I understand like, you know, from listening to stories of athletes like yourself, the grind that you've go through for four years leading up to the Olympics and the sacrifices that it takes. And that was your first experience. And I know you were, you were young, you were quite a bit younger then. And you, you, you put your, everything, your, your body or your life, your family, everything on the, on hold. And you just focus on, on the Olympics and your dream. So you took that moment. What happens after that? And like, you're still on the best team in the world. Um, you know, things don't always go your way in curling. You don't always, you know, win the big events. Cause you know, it's just, that's the way it is, but you guys had some ups and downs after that. Um, was it hard to rally after that four years, that first Olympic run? Yeah, good question. Uh, it was like, I think looking back now, hindsight's always 2020, but I think one of the things that made team Martin so successful is we really did have a common goal. Yeah. of getting to the Vancouver Olympics, winning the Vancouver Olympics. And when you have that goal as a group, you're willing and able to put aside a lot of differences, whether it's personalities or, or ideas and philosophies about the game, you can, you can compromise and make it work for that ultimate goal. And I think when that Olympics was over, you know, and we lost kind of that common goal, well, we won the common goal, but we yeah. didn't have a new common goal as a group. Uh, 
that's when some of the differences start to set in and, and everybody was at different stages of their career. You know, Kevin was probably close to retiring. Uh, you know, Ben and I still thought we were going to play for the next 20 years at that level. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, John was maybe thinking about playing, you know, maybe skipping or who knows, you know, life gets in the way you start thinking about having families. Uh, and we lost that common goal as a group and, and we ended up, you know, not playing together. We played three more years together, but they were a little more grueling right? as a group. Uh, and then throw in the fact that other teams were just going to get better. You know, right. we had that permanent target on our back and, and guys got better. And so we started to lose and that was something we weren't used to. So the cracks in the foundation started to show and, and we weren't able to get it back on the tracks to get to the next Olympics. Right. Um, but you know, this, the one thing I've learned over the years is that it really is about the journey and not the destination. Right. You know, so, so enjoying the journey, enjoying the guys, enjoying the, the striving for a common goal. And, you know, if you win it amazing, it's, it's awesome. But even if you don't, there's so many good things to pull out of those journeys and experiences. And, and that's really the reason why you keep going. Right. And were you guys aware at the time that um, that was probably going to be Kevin Martin's last year when leading up to the 2014 games? Uh, yeah, we had a, we had a good idea. I think it was the, uh, the fall of 2013. So this would have been a couple months before the Olympic trials. Yeah. Um, and, and Kevin Martin at that time, we weren't at that point, we weren't playing with John Morris anymore, but, but Kevin had informed Ben and I that this would be his last year. Okay. Um, you know, and we appreciated him for that. Cause he basically was telling us that, you know, if you guys need to go and start making plans for your next Olympic cycle, you know, then do that. I don't want to hold you back. Mm -hmm. Um, but also, you know, for us, I think it was a really big, um, rallying cry as a group to know that, you know, we were going to be a part of Kevin Martin's last year in curling, you know, a, a man that had had at that point, 24 straight successful years right. with everything that he'd accomplished. So it was like, okay, well, let's, let's play our best and go out with a bang. And we almost won those Olympic trials. We lost the semifinal. Um, and then we ended up finishing that year and his career with a win at the players championship. So, so it was a great way for him to finish. And I really, as a team, it was a great way to, to kind of say goodbye and move on. When we're not talking about hockey on across the pond, we're usually listening to music. And after the number of hours, our headphones spent on our sweaty ear holes, they usually need a little bit of TLC. Luckily, our buddy Brandon from Accessory House Global is there to help. If you're in need of replacement cables, ear pads, or heck, even a brand new carrying case, this is the one-stop shop you need to visit. Check them out on Instagram at TheRealAHG or visit their website at AccessoryHouseGlobal.com. You can even get a 20% discount on your first purchase by typing in AHG20OFF. Tell them across the pond sent ya. So, Mark, that brings me to the next, uh, you know, uh, Hall of Famer that you ended up curling with, Kevin Cooey. Um, how, did, how did that happen? And at that time, again, you're looking at another start to a four-year plan. And uh, was, that, was that kind of something that drew you to Kevin Cooey because you knew he was someone that, you know, was going to help bring you back to where you, wanted to, where you wanted to go as a curler? Yeah, that's another good one. You know, I, I, I go back to my you know, my first three years in men's were with Kevin Cooey. Um, he was playing third at the time, but you know, the, the talent was undeniable. Yeah. Um, and, and at this point, you know, 2014 now he'd kind of grown into a, a Briar winning skip and it kind of 
reach that potential that we all knew he could. Uh, and, and him and I stayed pretty close. We always had a really good chemistry together as teammates. Um, but I remember, I remember as teams were kind of starting to get together, I, I had a conversation with Kevin Cooey and he said to me, he said, you know, have you ever thought about playing third? Um, you know, I think you could be the next Don Walchuk. I remember, I still remember him saying that to me yeah. and it was the first time I remember Nicole, we haven't even told people how we know each other, man. We, we have that story. <laughs> okay. We'll get there. Anyways, <laughs> Nicole had asked me, you know, would you ever consider playing back end? And I said, no, yeah. I, I think I'm a second for life. Yeah. Um, but, but when Kevin Cooey said that to me, I thought, wow, if somebody like him thinks maybe I could play third, it's something I should consider. Um, so we, you know, we got together and I was going to play third and it was a big jump for me at that time. Uh, but he was the perfect guy to do it with, you know, he was just so patient and understanding and kind of gave me room to develop and learn. And, uh, you know, we had a bit of a tough first season <clears throat> together as a group with Brent Lang and, and Ben Hebert. But I remember the fall of 2016, it was our second year together, our first event, you know, things started to click. And uh, I remember actually saying to Nicole, I, I think we have something special here brewing. Mm -hmm. um, and we just had one of the best years I can ever remember. I think we won the Canada Cup. We won the Briar. We won the Worlds. We got our Olympic trial spot. And it was like, okay, we're, you know, we're for real. I'm a third. Yeah. Kevin's my skip. And this is a, this is a deadly team. So again, just it, he was the right guy at the right time for me. Um, and, a, and just a terrific teammate and, and loved, absolutely loved those four years together. I don't think I've ever grown more as a curler or as a person than I did, um, my four years with that team. And being a third Mark, you can explain to us, uh, avid or sorry, not so avid curling fans, uh, <laughs> the differences. I mean, you, you were a second for a lot of your career and you changed to a third. Can you explain like the differences as far as like what your role is on the team at that point and how that changes? So biggest difference being, you know, there's some little logistical things when you're playing second, you're mostly, you know, you're sweeping, um, almost every shot and, and your shots specifically are more like setup shots. You're setting up an end so that your third and skip can, can kind of finish the end off and you move up to third and the role gets a little bit bigger. So now your shots are a little tougher, a little more important. Uh, there's a little more responsibility. And then you also have the job of being in the house. Um, when the skip is throwing. So now you're, you're calling line, you're helping with strategy. Um, you're much more vocal and more of a leadership role. Uh, and that's a big step from front end to back end for anybody, even at a, at a, you know, semi-competitive level. So to do it at this elite level, I knew it was going to take a couple of years. Um, and it did, but, uh, you know, it certainly felt like a challenge for me, but, uh, it was, it was the right thing to do. And I'm glad I did it because sometimes you need that little bit of a, a kick in the butt in order to, to grow as a player yeah. and as a curler or, or, and as a human. So I'm, I'm glad I got that opportunity. And when you think about it now, if someone was to ask you what position you prefer, what would be your, your quick answer? Ooh, yeah, I, I, that's tough. I, I played second for so long and I loved it uh, and I got pretty good at it. Um, but there's something about playing third where you kind of get to touch on every aspect of the game. Right. You're involved in strategy. You're involved in sweeping. Your shots are important. Um, you get to communicate with the skip, but you also get to communicate with the front end. Um, you know, even you get to do measurements, you get to put up the score. You're literally like, you need to be all around multi-purpose type of player. And uh, I think as I've grown in my career, that's something I've become is just, um, 
you know, adaptable and willing and able and willing to play everywhere. And, and, uh, trying to think of the word, what's the versatile, versatile. There you go. Third needs to have some versatility. And that's something I've been pretty proud to be able to develop in my game. That's great. And so you did, uh, went back to the Olympics in 2018. Um, what, tell me a little bit about that overall experience. Yeah. I was actually just texting with one of my old teammates a couple of days ago about it. Cause you know, we're coming up on the end of four year anniversary of it. Um, you know, Pyeongchang was, was fantastic. You, you know, I know we finished fourth and, and most people consider that a disappointment, you know, to, especially for a country that expects the medal and, and, um, but for me personally, man, I, I loved it. It, it was, it was challenging and, and losing the semi and the bronze medal was tough. You always want to come home with a medal, right. um, but to go through, to go through that war with those guys and what we had gone through as a group, um, man, I have a ton of amazing memories from that trip. Um, and learned a lot too, you know, the, the biggest thing being the, the quality of play from the other teams. You know, in Vancouver, like I mentioned to you, there was maybe three teams that could beat yeah. us. And now in Korea, every team was a challenge. So, you know, it was a big eye opener from that perspective. Um, and, uh, you know, a bit of a tough week, but, you know, I have nothing but great memories. We had 40 friends and family come over and, and be a part of the experience with us. And, uh, yeah. you know, I got to bring my wife and oldest daughter were there the whole week and, Yeah. I loved it. Win or lose. I I take those experiences for what they are. And it's not all about winning all the time. It's about the experience. And, you know, we gave it absolutely everything we had and it, all it did was motivate me to, uh, to continue to grow and get better. Well, it's one of the biggest regrets I have since moving over here is not going to the Olympics in Korea. And it just, you know, a whole lot of our friends were planning this trip and it just became a hassle trying to get tickets and it was really hard to get accommodations and you could only go in a draw for tickets for certain events. And oh, it just, be- it became yeah. like a, and then it turns out that if we had it just went, we probably could have gone to any event that we wanted to. There was tickets available, you know, people were selling tickets on the streets and things like that, but yeah, huge regret. I mean, anytime you get a chance to go to the Olympics, uh, you got to take the you opportunity. Go. I know. Yeah, and I'm so go. angry now because <laughs> here I am in Asia, just missed the Tokyo Olympics couldn't go yeah but we we had yeah. booked three weeks to go there and and see the olympics and now here again in beijing and we can't go again so uh yeah but mark you do have a chance to go so um before we get to that though i do have to ask you about uh after the olympics in 2018 uh you made an announcement that you were taking a break from competitive yeah. curling and i believe it came across as Mark Kennedy's retiring from competitive curling at that time, uh, explain your decision and, uh, just tell me what was, you know, what were your, what were your goals at that time? And and how did you come to that decision? Um, I was, I was exhausted after 2018. I was, I was tired. Um, you know, we'd put a lot into that four years, you know, you mentioned before you're sacrificing work, you're sacrificing family, you're away a lot. Um, it was, you know, my, my family has, has given me up a lot for that Olympic run. And it just felt like a time to, to take some time and rest. Um, I had a, I had a pretty nagging injury that had bothered me right up until those Olympic games. I knew that needed a break and some time. And I just, you know, once the conversations around me started happening about the next Olympic cycle and teams getting geared up to, to start new teams and, and do all that. I, all I could think of is, Oh my God, I don't think I could do this again. Yeah. And I was just, you know, mental fatigue, physical fatigue. Um, 
you know, just worn out. And I didn't want to do that to a team and even to my family or to myself to go into a new cycle, you know, half-assed, I guess you could say. Yeah. So I needed time and I needed a break. And, and, uh, so I just took it and I know it, it caught a few people by surprise, including, including my teammates, you know, and you're giving up a lot of great opportunities, whether it's, uh, you know, sponsorships or, or events that you get to play in or whatever the case is. But I just knew for me and my family, it was time for, just a break. And, yeah. you know, the way things played out was interesting after the break and, and who I ended up playing with and where I'm at now. It, yeah. You know, I, I don't regret it for one second. I, I had a whole year to just refresh and, you know, I still saw a personal trainer every couple of days. I, I worked on my injuries. I got more time with my girls uh, so that the, by the time I did get to come back with team Jacobs, I was, I was excited and motivated and refreshed and, and wanted to get back to these Olympics. Right. And here you are, um, you know, spending the last, well, the pandemic obviously uh, spoiled a lot of events in the last couple of years, but you did get yeah. to move on again and play with another amazing player in Brad Jacobs. And um, yeah. so you guys did get to play quite a few events in 2019, 2020. And what, tell me really what's happened since the pandemic hit and what happened with your time with, uh, with Brad Jacobs. Yeah, it's been an interesting couple of years here. Um, our first year together, you know, it goes back to even my year off. Um, I, I came to spare with them at the Canada Cup. And, uh, you know, I hadn't played all year. And uh, we stepped out on that ice and we clicked right away. You know, the chemistry with those guys that I'd competed against for a long time was, mm -hmm. was instant. Uh, and we ended up winning one of the toughest events in curling in our first event ever together. Uh, we beat Kevin Cooey in the final, which was kind of ironic, but wow. um, it was, uh, it was like, wow, this could be a really special unit, special group. So, you know, at the end of that season, they asked me to come on board and I said, yes. Um, and we came out, you know, came out of the blocks firing. I think we won three grand slams that year, three out of the four, um, which is, you know, the best curling events in the world. Uh, so it was great. We had a terrific first year together. We got to the Briar and lost the, um, I think we lost the three, four game to, to team Gushu, but you know, we all said if, if we could have just got past team Gushu, which I've said a lot in my life, <laughs> we, we probably, we probably could have won that Briar. We were playing so well. So, yeah. uh, and then, you know, we were looking forward to coming back the following year and, 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 uh, having a great year and then the pandemic hit. So it was, uh, you know, we didn't get to play much. And, and when we did, it was in the kind of the bubble style format. It was a challenge for everybody. So, yeah. uh, but it allowed us to kind of, you know, learn more about each other and, and try to make the best of a tough situation. And, you know, we came out this year in, in the Olympic trials year and man, we've had a fantastic year. I think we've played seven events and we have, uh, six second place finishes. Wow. So to make the final six times has been amazing to lose yeah. it every time is, <laughs> uh, you know, but we're always in a position to win and we were, you know, one or two shots away from, from representing Canada at the Olympics. So, you know, yeah. I got no complaints and, and they're a fantastic team. And I look forward to getting back to playing with them here at the Briar in a couple of weeks in Lethbridge. So guys like yourself, Mark, who've been on a few teams, you know, over your career, are there any borders when it comes to joining different teams around Canada? Yeah, it's a good question. So we have a bit of a funny system here when it comes to curling that you can, you can create a team from anywhere you want in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, but in order to play in our provincial playdowns, um, you know, to win your province and to play in a briar, there are some rules when it comes to, um, location and, and 
who you play with. So right okay. now, three out of your four players need to be from the same province or live in the same province. Okay. You're allowed one import player from anywhere in Canada. Um, now those rules can sometimes be, you know, they're still working on it. It's a work in progress. Uh, we also have a birthright rule, which means you can represent the province that you were born in no matter where you live. Um, so, you know, at the moment with team Jacobs, I'm the import cause I still live in Alberta, but yeah. the three of them live in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. So we're able to make it work and still compete in playdowns. Uh, but yeah, it's a little bit of a, a funny non-traditional system, yeah, but, little... uh, curling teams seem, they seem to have made it work. Yeah. Well, you've, you've seemed to make it work everywhere you go. So, um, so Mark, um, you guys, team Jacobs, you go to the Olympic, um, qualifiers and you end up losing to team Gushu. Of course, you know, uh, team Gushu has been around for a long, long time. Like you said, you competed against those guys over the years, probably countless times. Um, what was it like, you know, first of all, in this position in your career, and I'm not saying you're an old man, Mark, but we are approaching. Yeah. Oh, it's full, okay. I am. We are approaching, I am. We're approaching, we are approaching 40, 40 next week, man. You and I both. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Mark was born one day ahead of me, folks. So we're going to be 40 years old next week. So, but you know, what was it like at this point of your career to get a call from Brad, you know, and get the invitation to go to Beijing? Yeah. At this stage of my career, you know what? It was, it was, I was very honored. Um, I was incredibly, incredibly humbled by him calling, um, you know, Brad, I always laugh because Brad and Mark Nichols, you know, the first time I played against them was in 1999. So I've been playing against those two for 24 years, 23 years and, and butting heads against each other. Yeah. Um, Brad Gushu came with us as a fifth man at the Olympic trials in 2013. So kind of got to know him a little bit better there. Uh, and honestly, I've always had a ton of respect for them. Um, you know, you find at this level of curling, we've all kind of been through the same, you know, big wins, big losses, yeah. you know, we all give up a lot to play the sport we love and you start to realize how much you have in common with these guys. Absolutely. You know? So, so yeah. you, you might hate them when you're on the ice because they're your competitors, but the more you get to know them, you realize that they're, they're just like you. You know, they, they have the same dreams and they, they have very similar personalities and they're good teammates. And, um, you know, so to get that call, you know, my first thought was I'm very humbled. And the other part of it is international curling has gotten so tough yeah. that as I get older in my career, I really want to see Canadian curling do well, you know? So once we lose in the Olympic trials final, my first thought is, okay, well now it's time to support Canada. Now it's time to support whoever that is, whether it's Team Gushu, Team Kui, you know, it doesn't matter. Even if it's not me, it's it's time to put my Canadian colors on and support that team any way that I can, whether it's at home cheering with my girls um, or here as an alternate, you know, because mm -hmm. their, their success on the international stage is good for Canadian curling and it's, it's good for all of us. So um, I, I was happy to put that into action and I'm, I'm, you know, extremely excited to get over there and help these boys any way that I possibly can. I've got to know him really good here over the last couple of weeks, better than I ever thought I would. Um, you know, and, and I feel like part of the team and I look forward to helping them any way I can. Cause I know the Olympics can be a pretty stressful and difficult experience. So I'm, I'm there to support them.
Yeah, well, it's, I'm sure they're very, very pleased to have you on board, especially with the experiences you've had. How has your approach been different um, as someone who's come in as an extra who, you know, may or may not play? You may end up playing in different positions. What's what's your approach been as far as preparing this time uh, as a different uh, compared to the other times? Yeah, that's a good question, because when you're going to play, you're going to perform, right? You're going to, to just do whatever you need to do to be at your best and, and make sure your teammates are at their best. This has been a little bit different. It's It's been more of a, you know, finding where I fit into the dynamic, um, not overstepping my, my role, you know, not, uh, you know, maybe there's times that I have an opinion and that's not my job to give yeah. it. You know, my job is to support you know, what they're going through and what they're feeling. So it's very much more of a support role. Uh, but you touched on something else there where, you know, I still need to be ready to play just yeah. in case. So that's been the balance here is, is okay. Let's make sure those guys are in a good space mentally, physically, you know, that they're, they're loose and excited and, and have all the right emotions going in um, and helping them get there. But also in the back of my mind, you know, be ready at the drop of a hat to jump in and, and play you know, the best I possibly can. So there, it's a little bit different for me. It's a little bit challenging, but, um, but I love it. Cause I, I think, you know, I've had the experience of going as an athlete, I, I'm excited to go in a different role and seeing if I can, you know, do what's necessary and, you know, hopefully get to cheer them into a, into winning a medal. And, and I'll be the first one there clapping and, and happy for these guys. Cause I know they've put as much into this sport as I have. So it's uh, it's going to be a really exciting but um but high stress time of course and myself along with all canadians will be cheering for you guys as well mark um so yeah so i can't wait to uh, to watch you guys first of all and then we're going to you you told me you'd be willing to come back and chat with me after your Olympic experience, which I can't wait to hear about as well. Um, so Mark, I just got a couple random questions for you about curling in general. Um, first of all, you're a lefty, um, uh -huh. any advantage, disadvantage, how many left-handed curlers are there out there? Yeah, there's not that many, man. We, uh, it's a lot different than the hockey world. It seems, um, we, we don't have a lot of left-handed curlers. So I've often, when I, when I talk to young lefties, I say, listen, you're, you're living in a right-handed world on the ice <laughs> yeah. and you're the one that's going to have to adapt to your delivery and you're going to have to adapt to all the righties that you're going to play with. So, you know, that's what I've done. Um, I, I think I've gotten pretty good at it, but you know, I grew up with a great left-handed curler, uh, by the name of Scott Pfeiffer, mm -hmm. um, who you actually look a little bit like, by the way, that's okay. what, that's what Nicole always says. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a great lefty from St. Albert as well. You know, he won uh, four Briar titles and three world championships. And uh, so I grew up kind of idolizing this lefty that was in my curling club. So I kind of got to see how it worked from the, from a left-handed point of view. So he certainly helped me, you know, make it work. Uh, I wouldn't say there's a lot of advantages to it, but, um, but you know, every once in a while, my, my rocks travel a little bit of a different path than other right. people. So maybe I've been a hard guy to follow on the ice. So maybe it's helped me, but certainly it often feels like, uh, you know, kind of the lonely lefty out there most of the times. Okay. So second question, uh, yeah. is, is it possible to make a living as a curler and are there people out there doing it? Yeah, that's not a question we get asked very often. I love it. Uh, mm. yeah, there's more opportunity now in curling than there ever has been. You know, I, I've probably been making a living at it for the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, there's a few teams out there that are making enough to, to make a living. You know, we're not talking millions of dollars. We're talking, 
you know, just enough to, yeah, to support a family type of thing. Um, but the big thing for curling is sponsorship dollars. So as an amateur sport, we're pretty lucky to have, uh, a lot of TV time, which allows us to sell some sponsors and, you know, that's the business side of the game. That's definitely grown, but still has room for improvement. Right. Well, I can't, uh, I can't thank you enough, Mark. I guess we do have to tell people how we know each other. Kind of a funny story. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Mark um, in 2011 and spend a day at the golf course with him and, and a day with your gold medal. And uh, yeah, so I always tell people that uh, my ex-girlfriend, Nicole, uh, went from me to a gold medal Olympian. So it was quite, a, quite an upgrade for her. Uh, so yeah, so that's how it happened, Mark. Uh, Mark stole my girlfriend. No, just... yeah. yeah. I love it. That's perfect. That's good. So yeah, we, uh, we, and, and, and it just so happens that our birthdays are one day apart. So we do have a couple of things in Gosh, common. Nicole's got a thing for Aquariuses, eh? That's right. That's what we've, that's what we've come younger to than her too, of course. And we're of both two, two years younger than her. So she that's likes right. the younger men. So yeah, that's funny. I remember, I remember that day that we golfed at the Highland links. Yeah. And beautiful I, day. I remember texting with my, I was texting with my bunny, but my buddy, Benny, and he's like, you know, who are you playing with? I'm like, oh, I'm playing with Nicole's ex-boyfriend. He's like, <laughs> kick what? his ass. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, he's a great guy, man. Yeah. No, it's all good. So yeah. no, it was a, it was a pleasure to meet you. And I, I love that you're a sports fan. And I, I love what you, you and Holly are doing out there in Hong Kong. And um, yeah, it's very cool that we can do this. And uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Mark, wish you guys nothing but the best. Uh, tell Mr. Gushu and the rest of the boys, um, best of luck and safe travels. And I look forward to hearing from you from China or just afterwards. Yeah, we'll do, buddy. We'll do this again when it's all done, hopefully with a medal around my neck. But uh, either way, we'll, we'll chat again. Can't wait, buddy. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Mark. You too. That was Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. Thank you once again to our amazing sponsors, the China Hockey Group, AccessoryHouseGlobal.com, Wheel Hub Asia, The Big Bite Restaurant, Felix & Co, Psalm Sleep, and Yardley Brothers Craft Brewery. And of course, our head honcho here at Sunset Studio, Mr. Paul McLean. Folks, if you want to reach out, send in a question or a comment to acrossthepondhk.com or find us on social media at acrossthepondhk. Uh, oh, sorry, Chris. Go ahead, Brad. Sorry. Uh, just doing a podcast. Yeah. Just come down okay, we'll do. Dinner, is, Sorry, dinner, is dinner ready? <laughs> dinner, we're done dinner already. Probably, yeah. They're, They're probably, probably having a quick meeting or something. Yeah. Sorry.